The following content combines crude language and deeply problematic, off-the-cuff takes for the purpose of delving into topics that someone else can probably discuss way more articulately. It's like three over-caffeinated chimpanzees playing operation. Remember, no one deserves to be punished just because some ideas are stupid. Let's investigate. Did that trigger you? Yeah, but not in any way that makes any logical fucking sense whatsoever. You can <laughs> really a terrible idea. And I feel like I made a mistake. You know, actually, I do have a funny, a, a funny thing about sex moves. But it's not like, and it's not like you can just do a sex move whenever you want. Yeah, I had prunes with lunch yesterday. They had an immediate effect. I was pretty shocked. <laughs> like, I only had six or eight of them. And like five hours no, later, only, only, only six or eight. <laughs> well, I'm used to eating like grapes, you know, like six or eight grapes. It's like you, you didn't know, even. Prunes are made from plums, right? So you really had like eight plums. <laughs> eight dehydrated plums. Yeah. All right. So I've got my, yeah, I've got a little bit better perspective on prunes and. I drank a are. gallon of prune juice the other day, and for some reason, it just went right through me. <laughs> oh, man, I mean, good. do you ever have one of those where it's like, you know, the the surface of the toilet bowl above the water is coated with all kinds of, like, splatter, and you're wondering, It's like, like a fatty film on top. Yeah. How yes. is, is all of that going to wash down when I flush, or am I going to be left with one of those uncomfortable brushing right? situations? Right. And also, like, what what sort of alchemy was going on in there? Yeah, what did my body do to make that happen? Right, and what did I do to my body? Right, like, right. Oh, I, I know what I did to my body. It's right. Like, <laughs> I put prunes in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gallon of prune juice. Yeah. yeah. When, I, when I was, uh, it was like the summer before I was going into fourth grade, I was staying with my uh, aunt in North Carolina, and my cousin... Uh, made me and my brother James sit down and neither of us, like we, we were kids and we didn't know about prune juice, but he had us do like a drinking contest with prune juice. Oh God. Yeah. Cause he was like, uh, it was, I mean, it was kind of a funny prank because we were like, I was, I was a third going on fourth grader and James was a like second going on third grader. Uh, and so all we knew is that it was just nasty fruit juice. We were like, this it's it's like grape juice, but like worse. Mm -hmm. So it was like, we were just doing like shot for shot. And then that's, we ended up with a greasy splatter. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know why, but that makes me happy. That is a fun, that's a funny prank to pull on a kid. I feel like. Yeah. As long as, yeah. Yeah. Either of you know who Milton Jones is? I do not. No. British comedian. Uh, works clean. Pretty cute, funny pun type stuff. But also he has this joke that, that made me think of, which was uh, when I was a kid, I had a medical condition that required me to eat soil to stay alive. Lucky my older brother told me about it, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I have a topic if you all want one. Oh, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, hit me. Stimulus value. Stimulus value. Stimulus value. Yes. I, I need you to narrow that down a little bit. This topic comes with a story. So okay. when I worked at our local university, uh, 
I uh, was told by my supervisor that I needed to be more mindful of my stimulus value, uh, that as a larger person with a deep voice, others might find me intimidating. Uh, and it was this then that I started to notice that nobody, everybody working in my department uh, under this particular supervisor was either female or very meek personality, soft-spoken male, uh, in some cases effeminate, you know, not, that's great, more of those people in the world, please, but just happened that I was the only person who didn't really meet any of those criteria, and it wasn't long before I was no longer working there, um, hmm. to, in some ways because uh, I failed to adjust my stimulus value, um, instead believing that while some people might feel intimidated, others might feel something more positive about like stimulus value in this workplace was always discussed as a negative toward me. Like there wasn't any, anything that would be positive in my stimulus value. Um, so the topic, sorry, go ahead. I've never heard it described like that or never heard that phrase before, but that is something that I actually talk about a lot, uh, as a very large, hairy, tattooed white man. I, I think about that constantly. In a positive way or in a negative or like a scared way? In a, just in, in a mindful way, in a mindful mm -hmm. way. Like um, if I'm standing in the middle of a sidewalk, uh, people's reactions are going to naturally be to move around me. Or if I'm walking down the middle of a sidewalk, somebody's going to move around me instead of expecting me to move. Um, and that it imposes a certain level of control and ownership over that area and over my area. And when I get excited, I talk loud and I move my hands and that imposes a certain amount of ownership over the area that I'm in. Uh, and I, I try to be mindful of that when I'm talking to people and when I'm around people because uh, I don't want to be that guy. Okay. How much can you really help that though? Uh, I mean, I think consciously we can do things to adjust our, I mean, it's like any interacting with anybody, you adjust your body language, you adjust your tone of voice, you adjust your volume to try to uh, get your message across. And if I'm not thinking about the way that I communicate, then uh, I'm not communicating effectively. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's really salient, actually, like the a part of effective communication is making sure that like it's a it's appropriate for the audience as well and like the the atmosphere right which to me doesn't necessarily equate to stimulus value huh? like communicate so maybe, maybe i need you to define stimulus value a little bit yeah give, give a like a, a more solid definition so like what what i hear you talking about is being mindful of the audience mindful of who I'm communicating with and what their needs are. Um, and, you know, that's sort of like, uh, what's the term for when you, oh, it's uh, not code switching. Like when you, when you sort of present a different side of yourself to, to be more who you need to be in a certain situation, it's not disingenuous. It's not hypocritical. It's just adjusting to what's required in that, right. in that moment. The, 
the way stimulus value was presented to me was a concept of overarching general, like change who I, how I present myself in the world generally, you know, become more, more, become more Mr. Rogers. E, you know, right. So I, wait, is it real or did he just make that up? Because he, he was like, I think that you're too loud and intimidating, but I don't know a good way to ask you to quiet down. Uh, well, I, I absolutely want to own my bias here because this was presented by him and pretty transparently, from my point of view anyway, in retrospect, as a tool for him to remain in alpha male status. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, that that was troubling. Like at first I was like, Oh my goodness, my stimulus value, I might be harming people. I might be offending people. I might be making people frightened and therefore not able to really serve them in the way that I need to. And then after some other shit happened, I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So so I I think, I I think I'm with you there. Like, I think I, I understand where you're coming from. And and I think of it like man spreading man spreading is a good example. Or even mansplaining is a good example. Like we as uh, men are coded by society to act a certain way and take up a certain space in a certain way. Um, And that seems to me like what you're talking about, where uh, if you enter a room with your hands on your hips and your chest puffed out, uh, speaking loudly, then regardless of who you're talking with, that sends a message that sends a i am important i am somebody that needs to be listened to mm-hmm. right yes um and that is something that comes very naturally to white males in america i think specifically i can't speak for uh black males or asians or Mex- you know any of the other people that look different than me but it is a thing that we are taught to do from a very young age. Uh, yeah, I will say that I think it's it's a pretty uh, easy blanket statement to say that uh, at least Ameri- like U.S. American men are kind of raised to be like princes of whatever area they happen to be in. I uh, yeah, I would want to delineate like straight cis. But also, like, I don't personally relate to that, even though I am straight cis white. Like, it's been hard for me to gain that type of confidence. Uh, well, but that's the thing is that even because of the way our society portrays men and the way we are exist within this world, whether you have that confidence or not, whether you believe it or not, that is what people are going to see when they look at you. Got it. Because you're yeah. six four and broad-shouldered and so regardless of what your actual demeanor is Uh if you approach somebody who is five foot two um presents as female and is introverted and meek they are going to react to you in a certain way simply because of your size and because you're a male yes Um, yeah because of how society yeah if we didn't know each other and we were playing sidewalk chicken uh like just because you're like you're a big white guy i'm going to assume you are not going to move right. like i'm i'm yeah. a like yeah i'm a little guy you're a big guy you're not gonna you're not going to move and whether it does not matter whether or not you're going to move like you were planning to or anything at all it's like basically the uh 
the systems in place have basically put uh, a bunch of like tags on you that people make yeah. that people can kind of assume, I guess. Could I say something provocative? Uh, yeah, uh, let's, let's investigate it. Uh, I feel entitled as the white cisgender <laughs> man. So I just put my opinion. Yes, right let's mansplain this. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. Um, I feel like the woke movement, because you know, I have to use that term at the beginning of my sentence in order for it to be productive. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like the woke movement is too often misinterpreted as being designed to shrink or disempower uh, people who have traditionally been in power rather than trying to pressure or encourage or push people who've been in power to empower others. So in the example of my workplace, yep. I think it would have been more productive and healthier for everybody had I been encouraged to use my strengths in a way that could empower people who have been disempowered. Um, rather than being told to shrink myself down and, and be less of who I organically am. I I don't know. To me, it's, it, it hits that, like you said, code switching. It hits that where you need to be aware of how you present yourself, whether whatever the situation is in, right? And to be, if you're in a situation where you're trying to uh, nurture somebody and gain their trust. Um, and again, I'm not a professional therapist, so I don't know the ins and outs of how all of that works. But in my experience, both you're definitely not supposed you... to do any ins and outs. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, that's what I've been doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. Why hasn't therapy worked? <laughs> Depends who you ask, I guess. But yeah. No, but I mean, it's it seems like regardless of who you're interacting with, being cognizant of how you are presenting yourself, whether you mean to or not, can only be a good thing. Well, yeah, because my job is therapist, then how I present myself to the people I'm supposed to serve is usually as a listener first, mm -hmm. which is kind of, it carries that empower, hopefully it carries that empowering role with it. Where if I'm, if a person meets with me and they're a five foot two woman who's been traumatized, I want them to experience me as somebody who will listen, you know, somebody who's not going to trample over them with opinions, not going to expect them to move out of the way while I'm on the sidewalk metaphoric, like mm. that's my job. Um, if my job wasn't therapist, then, you know, perhaps I could, uh, go through the efforts, you know, if I was a teacher or if I was an engineer or something like that, you know, it might be good for me to hear the message of, you know, when you see other people who may have been through some harder situations, you want to spread kindness, you want to want to encourage and empower and listen. That, that type of message strikes me as really much more helpful. Yeah, I want to go back to uh, what you said earlier about basically just to kind of summarize about uh, bringing people down rather than lifting people up. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you should have been, I, I think you're absolutely right in that the correct thing to do would been would have been to lean into your strengths instead of asking you to wedge yourself into an uncomfortable shape. Mm -hmm. It is kind of funny that, that you mentioned that it, it does feel like the I think the general perception among uh, I guess among white people I don't know is that the the quote unquote woke movement is trying to like bring down the white people, but no, it's it's kind of like how 
whenever there is a like a police execution of or or like whenever whenever uh the police arrest a white person who was like chasing people around with a chainsaw or something like that and they're they're like they bring him in alive mm-hmm. the the problem the and and there's a lot of discourse that goes around where people are like why didn't they shoot this guy when really the thing is is like they caught him they can catch everybody right so it's it's more about like raising raising the uh raising the bar so that everybody has the same kind of standard why did they kill george floyd but take kyle rittenhouse in alive well yeah yeah oh and uh or yeah actually i was gonna i was gonna go with what's his face like the church shooter dylan roof there we go same thing Mm -hmm. exactly so i think that it is kind of interesting because i think i think that that is well I think that conservatives just by their very nature are disingenuous. So you can't really believe what they say. You just have to watch what they do. But when, when they argue that, Oh, you know, it's, it's about like tearing people down. It's kind of hard for me to, to tell whether or not they believe that or not. But. And I think to address the larger sociopolitical connotations of the woke quote unquote woke movement, yeah. fuck that. That makes me so angry. Like, what's wrong with taking white men down a peg? Why is it bad to adjust who we are and how we exist within the world in order to make room for people who we, people that look like me, have systematically destroyed for centuries? There, there's, there's no need to. We can just bring everybody up to your peg. I'm if not you, convinced. If you're, if we're in the mindset of a zero sum. Uh, where we have to remove status and resources from one group in order to give it to another group, there will be conflict, uh, there will be fear, there will be backlash. Um, mm-hmm. That's counterproductive, I think. It's, it's... I, I think it's necessary. I think it is a zero-sum game. I think that when you have a finite amount of resources controlled by a very few ultra-wealthy people, the only way to adjust who's in power is to redistribute that power. I don't right. think you can just create more power, create more resources. But we'll never be able to sell even moderate white people on that plan. Like, we could sell at least moderate white people on the plan of this benefits everybody. No, I, I don't think we can sell them on it. I think we can outlive them. <laughs> I, so, I mean but so like, <laughs> I, I think that's really what it comes down to is the progressive movement isn't about making changes today it like per, be, any type of progressive movement isn't about let's fix things today it's let's work so that the system changes and that's not going to happen today tomorrow next week this year within my lifetime right I look at uh, uh, the GLBT movement and how when I was a kid, like that was like, there was nothing. We had no idea. It was still a, like, it was just a joke. It was still something that was a, a, an epitaph that was to be hurled at people that you disliked um, entirely. And now the kids who are entering high school are like, they have taken the idea of being homosexual, which is, again, something that was super controversial in the 80s and the 90s, and it's just a given for them. 
and they're like, I now identify as trigendered and et cetera, et cetera. And there's like this people are are the whole anti-woke movement is about suppressing that process of change. Of exploration. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. I, I remember when it was worse, it was worse to be called a white supremacist than a racist. I remember like mm-hmm. that was, you know, now it still is. Well, now to me, the definition of white supremacist has changed from when we were kids. So now being a white supremacist, as I perceive it, is being a person who perpetuates and fails to undermine systemic realities that give advantages uh, to white people. I mean, you could do that just by sleeping in on a Saturday morning. Like, that I think is a good thing. I'm not trying to complain. I think it's a good thing that now we have these redefined words where, you know, let's put in some extra effort here to dismantle these systems, you know, we're called upon to do that. We have agency, we have an action that we can and should take. I read a book a couple of years ago, White Supremacy and Me, and as I was reading the book, I kind of kept having this nagging feeling like what the author would want me to do is give all of my resources to BIPOC benefiting charity and disappear into the woods. And like, I had this inner resistance to that. And it was only after some other conversations and study that I kind of got with the idea that like, no, that's not, that's not really it. Like the, what's really it is that like, I can, I can use what advantages I have uh, and spread it around more. And I, and I gain from that because I get more connections from that. The world gets better from that. You know, there's less violence and oppression means that we all benefit. This actually makes me think of something kind of interesting. I feel like whenever you come, whenever you're confronted with your own privilege, because privilege is invisible to you, it's really uncomfortable to look at. So I feel like they there are different stages of reckoning uh, once you recognize it. And when when you when you said that, when you're like, it feels like the author wants me to give away all my stuff and then go disappear into the woods. I absolutely understand that because I went through the exact same thing. I when I, I read that that essay, The Invisible Backpack, that was like unpacking white privilege. And that uh, single handedly was enough to explain the the concept of male privilege to me because I was, I was looking at it and, and I was like, oh, OK, so. Like I was able, I was able to see in in her reflection of her white privilege. I was able to see my male privilege, and I went through the exact same thing. And I got, I got like really angry, uh, and I got kind of sullen. And then I was like, it feels like somebody's been like cheating on my behalf. And you know, it's like finding a, a roach in your cereal. Every time you find some some little thing where people have given you like a boost, or where where you notice that society is structured in your favor. But it is kind of funny that that you kind of go through the the stages of grief when you're confronted <laughs> with your own privilege, right? A lot of people well, don't get past denial, yeah. and um, it gets it gets right back to that the 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 same old echo that you hear when somebody says, "Oh, you have your white privilege." Well, I don't feel very privileged. I've had a hard life too. I grew up in a trailer park. Yeah, that's not that's 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 not what it's about, though. Like mm-hmm. that's that's so not what it's about. Yeah, I depending on there are people who I've had the, this conversation with. A couple of times, and I think I think the first time somebody says that to me, um, sure, I will believe them because they they don't know what they're talking about. But once they know like like what privilege means, if they lean on that, then that's 
that's when I know that they're they're disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Then they're a white supremacist. Yeah, I think I think I'm glad you mentioned male privilege because this is something I've encountered in my life where I'm uh, increasingly meeting women who uh, don't seem to want us to become all to all become Mister Rogers. Like they don't necessarily want us to be weaker yeah. and smaller and and so forth. You know, even as they're mindful of the imbalances and the and the patriarchy, that doesn't mean that men need to become. You know, men need to shrink. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, it might it often means the opposite. Yeah, I mean, like society has raised men to be tools, but you know, just because you're a tool doesn't mean you have to to be dangerous. Be a drill, not a hammer. Get it? Because you're screw it. Never mind. <laughs> I was thinking like a belt sander. I was thinking like a mallet because it's like a hammer, but it's like softer. I don't. I don't think that anybody's like when I talk about the 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 male presence or mm-hmm. the what was the what was the thing that you said at the beginning the stimulus value. Stimulus, yeah, value. stimulus value. When I when I'm talking about stimulus value, I'm not saying like you have to turn into a you know like cut your legs off at the knees and become an effeminate you know i'm not saying that i'm saying be aware that there are other people in the world who don't look like me and who are smaller than me and who don't sound like me and who are quieter than me and they deserve every amount every bit as much space as i take up yes i have do you think that main characters recognize that they're acting like main characters do you know what i mean when i say a main character i think so yeah uh it's a main character syndrome the, yes uh, the karen syndrome yeah. yeah um no i don't think so i don't think that the thought it's privilege i mean yeah. like that's it's privilege <laughs> this <laughs> In is some uh, way or another this is the the intriguing speaking of people who uh are anti-woke and controversial but i was like part of the Harry Potter story has this intriguing subtext of people resenting the main character for acting like a main character. That's pretty funny. Yeah. And in in context (laughs) with the whole rowling implosion that, yeah, Yeah. interesting. Yeah. Did you know that they can just make their shit disappear? Who? Wizards. Wizards. That's a thing that JK Rowling said. Yeah. Before plumbing. Yeah. And even after plumbing. That's why they use toilets as teleporters is because they don't need them. They just magically remove their shit. It is tragic that those books did not reveal the um, childbirth workarounds that the magical community must have come up with. Wouldn't that be the biggest consequence would be that trans women could give birth in a wizarding world. (laughs) (laughs) Like, think yeah. about it. They could. If you can, oh, that's a thing that could actually happen. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. In in a, like, a wizarding world written by somebody with, like, any sort of imagination or uh, like, un- understanding of, like, a coherent world. I was just I more thinking of, like, you just wave your wand and the, the baby's outside of the uterus and... and you don't have to, or even if there is an episiotomy, you just go yeah, repair out. Yeah. But if you if you can take a baby out, you can put a put baby a, in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't want to put a 
baby in, you might want to take some sperm and put it in. Yeah, we already have the capability of doing that, and it doesn't work. Yeah. I got lost. Yeah, me too. I don't know. I think we lost. <laughs> how, do you guys, how do you guys feel about paranormal stuff? Where are you on the spectrum of believers? I, I have had two experiences that I chalk up to being paranormal because I don't have the other explanation, but I do not believe in paranormal stuff. Okay. You know, I've ever noticed that all the people who report paranormal experiences, the ghosts are always white. Yeah, you uh, killed I'm that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a good one too. I, I was going somewhere, and you just no, drove I it right off a bridge. No, I'm thinking about it. Like, yeah, you don't see very many. Like in movies, sure, there's black ghosts. They'd be well, hard to see though. Oh, hold on. Do, would a black ghost still glow? Maybe. I mean, this feels like a question I should ask Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle, but like maybe, maybe black people are less interested in haunting. <laughs> they got more important shit to do. Yeah. They're doing all the stuff that white people wouldn't let them do when they were alive. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I, I they're, be, like... they're becoming bankers and landlords. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> landlords, they're becoming landlords. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm thinking, like, because yeah, like plantations should be like hella haunted. But if you think about it, I would not want to hang around there anymore. So there is a, a famous ghost in New Orleans, actually, who. Yeah was uh uh i'm gonna try to tread lightly here but she was a uh house slave okay. so she was somebody that was ingratiated herself to the to to her owners and um took part in a lot of really brutal uh murders and dismemberments on their behalf um and she has be she is a well-known ghost that exists in new orleans quote unquote exists in new orleans if you want to cover your bases you can say uh ingratiated herself to the people that enslaved her yes there we go there we go ingratiated <laughs> herself to her enslavers yeah her captors to go back to the original point or the original thing have, have either of you guys had any uh paranormal experiences i want chuck to answer the question first oh yeah where, do you, where do you fall on the paranormal scale I like to think of myself as totally neutral. Like I don't, I don't have an opinion. I had a dream one time when I was visiting a friend in Salt Lake City uh, about this angel that visited me, and I remember feeling just profoundly emotionally moved, like on a level that I can't describe and had never experienced anywhere else. And then I woke up and I was like, "Shit, that was just a dream." But normally, I dream about things that are at least connected to an experience that's real or that I've had or something. But so that kind of stuff happens. I don't, sometimes I get the little goosebumps about something that I'm like, I can't tell if I'm imagining that something paranormal might happen or if there's something I'm sensing, but I'm not terribly intuitive anyway. So I, I tend to be just kind of like, if it's out there, I just don't have the antenna for it. Yeah. I think most of the time uh, a paranormal experience is your brain just trying to scare itself or trying to figure out what the hell it sees or accidentally scaring itself. Our, our brains are really bad at what they do. Like yeah. incredibly complex machines that are prone to failure constantly. So we see a shadow and we're like, that's a ghost. That's a shadow person. Oh, look, a werewolf. 
Like our brain just just tries to figure out, tries to make sense of the world around us. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So where are you on the, the belief spectrum? I am a rationalist believer. Yeah. Like I, I think there is paranormal shit out there. I think that 99% of what we talk about when it comes to paranormal stuff can be explained by your eye, your brain trying to interpret photons as vision. Uh, hang on. I, I think I know where I think I know where where you're at here. Okay, let me okay. let me do like a parallel. Uh, so like 600 years ago, there would be a weird glowy rock. And if you hold the rock, it's it's cursed, so it will kill you. It, it, anybody who takes possession of the rock kills it. And then we find out, oh, yeah, that's uranium. So there is probably stuff that we do not know how to detect yet, or that we don't know how to measure yet. Or that we don't know how to record yet, you know. It's the like, whole sufficiently advanced. Thing. Exactly. Any sufficiently advanced technology appears to be magic. Yeah. And I, I very like, I, I, it's the same. I'm a, a staunch agnostic, mm-hmm. uh, and I, in every way, I have no way to say that ghosts don't exist, um, because I nobody can possibly know that right now. I kind of like the word staunch. I wish it was used more. That's one of those non-poetic, poetic words. You know? That said, uh, aliens do exist. Oh, um, it's almost... And, and they're visiting I, Earth. Oh, well, okay. Hold on. That's a bold claim. <laughs> Let's investigate that. Wait, what's, why, do you, why do you say that? The truth is out there. The truth is out there. You just have to see it. Open your eyes, man. No, I don't. I don't know if aliens are visiting it's, earth but oh okay I was gonna UFO, say. ufos uh or they've reclassified them uaps unidentified aerial phenomenons yeah um are very real oh yeah that's real very much not something that can be apl- explained by science that's pisses me off why like, like who got paid to do that to change like, ufos to uaps for no reason whatsoever the air force just, just, just like for... legit it's the air force it's because they released the the pentagon released this entire cache of videos I, that they've been taking that was since the, navy. the 40s the navy and the, the pentagon oh, was in okay. charge of the release okay. uh but they were that the navy and the air force had taken videos gotcha. and they didn't want to call them ufos because of the alien right uh, connotations with that so they reclassified them as uaps so people wouldn't look at it and be like that's an alien right <sighs> i'm for violence <laughs> i'm staunch in anti-bureaucracy yeah i do have a it's not really a ghost story but when i was uh very young i might have told this this story in person but never on the podcast my best friend and i when we were like six or seven we were talking about whether or not ghosts were real and then we decided to check so he went and got like a big old kitchen knife and like had it and I laid down on the floor and had it up on my neck up against my neck and I was like wait a second what if ghosts aren't real so then we made a pact that the first one of us who dies is going to come back and tell the other one whether or not ghosts are real I don't know where he lives now maybe I'll have ghost powers that's incredible yeah but like yeah and so that's what you get for his him his mom was our babysitter too I have no idea where she was we were completely unsupervised that's amazing yeah. That's the 80s. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's kind of the 
the fantasy mm-hmm. about taking virginity, right? It's like, you know, you, you're, you're the special one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. For episode like 100, we should have a woman guest on. that's a that's a bold bold goal there or okay maybe not 100 but like we we, but what we should do is we should we should find a woman and uh, take her virginity (laughs) convince her penetrate her her unknown (laughs) convince her to listen to the podcast and then uh, uh and then see if she can recognize uh, any of the, the impulses. What is more implausible? That we'll make it to 100 episodes or that we'll convince a woman to listen to this podcast and then be a guest? Well, I was kind of I thinking mean, that it might take 100 episodes of us doing this to find someone who would like listen and come on. I think it's 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 one of those questions like, what is reality? Where who, it's not, it's a meaningless question because... <laughs> It's just, there is no possible way that anything's <laughs> gonna like we're never gonna have an answer to either of those questions. So why wow. ask them? Yeah. What is reality okay. mean? I I know that I talked to I I'm pretty sure I talked about the Barbie movie in our last episode, but yeah, I you, you loved it, didn't you? Like you're a huge fan? No, I've never seen it. It has oh. not out yet. I I'm desperate to see it. Have you seen the oh, trailer? Oh right. No, I have not. Oh boy. I did um, see the trailer. Yeah, I found it disconcerting. I I think I think that that movie is going to make me really uncomfortable, and I'm going to I'm going to go into it like with that that mindset because like the more I read about it, the more I want to see it. But there is there is a, a thing that I read where there's an interview with Greta Gerwig, and part of the philosophy was she she was talking about how. Um, everybody has this this idea that like men are like big and bold to take up space, but like little girls are like that too. And then right around when they're they're teens and preteens, the the world patriarchy just like beats that out of them, and they have mm-hmm. to shrink down. So the Barbie movie, like Barbie Land, is a a world where like women get to be big and bold and on their own. What and if so- that didn't happen? Exactly. So it's it's like I, I feel like it's gonna turn like my worldview like on its head and in a good way. I feel like Wow, I love that. And I have to also share that when you said that the word term really uncomfortable, yeah. It brought me to my experience of a couple of days ago watching the documentary on Netflix about the Branch Division tragedy. Oh. Which made me really uncomfortable. And then those two things intersected in my head. And I imagined the Barbie mobile like pulling up to the Branch Davidian compound. And like she just completely <laughs> solves that whole crisis because she doesn't have a penis. I was thinking Barbie as David Koresh. Like that would, that's, that's where my mind oh. went with that. Oh. Yeah, that stood out to me from, from watching that documentary is that there were zero or essentially zero women involved in that whole situation who, who weren't directly under the control of men. Mm-hmm. I think that taking power is a violent act hmm. by necessity. It has to be violent. So if you want to avoid violence, people in power have to give it up. Actually, I actually have to retract what I just said because it was false, just factually what? false. What? What was J- well, oh, Jan- yeah. Yes. Was at the Jan- Reno. Of the yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, easy mistake like, to make. I, <laughs> the, to be fair, I wasn't thinking about the government side. I was thinking 
specifically about just the on the boot, branch of it. Boots on the ground, yeah. By right. the time Janet Reno got like decision-making position for that, it had been fucked up to the nth degree. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, so that's that's the so it was kind of a glass cliff if you think about it. A glass cliff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How do trees go. how do trees access the internet? They log on. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> All right. So, so what what did we learn today? Yeah, what did we learn today? And then let's see if we can craft it into a nugget of wisdom. I learned that women do not want me to be small. So size matters. Uh, so go, I need to find go surreal. I don't know if we learned that. Wait. We're gonna have that like full endorsement for both of you. Ghosts. Do you want? So what did, what else did we learn? Ghosts are real. Women don't want Chuck to be small. They like his size as it is. Right. Size matters. Size matters. Or they want me to be larger. They're disappointed with my size. And they're want me disappointed to... with your size, yeah. Women yeah. say size matters. I think three that's men... uh, that's a good wrap-up. Yeah, three men say that women say size matters. <laughs> <laughs> Imp- impeccable process. <laughs> has anybody, Unimpeachable logic. Has anybody here ever tried wearing like several layers of condoms to increase their size? No, you like that... that that will make it break. I love just the disgust you had in your voice. Like, no, <laughs> obviously not. <laughs> but that would work, you would think, like, it, eventually. It I genuinely never thought of that. It compromises the integrity. Well, we're not here for integrity. We're here for size. So, like, if you put on 15 condoms, don't you think that, like... Like when you're wearing a bunch of t-shirts, you see oh, those no. people putting on 100 t-shirts, and they can't actually, like, move their arms. They're like the kid in a snowsuit from uh, Christmas Story. We also learned, I think, that we're going to change the name of our podcast to Mansploring. Yeah? Yeah, Mansploring, an impeccable process. Mm-hmm. Impeccable. <laughs>